Hi there. This is Phil St. Romain. In this podcast, we're going to reflect on a Christian understanding of the relationship between God and creation, a topic that profoundly influences our spirituality. I will be narrating from a chapter in my new book, which is entitled Light for the Christian Journey. You can find out more about this book and others I've written by visiting my website, shalomplace.com. That's S-H-A-L-O-M-P-L-A-C-E dot com. And now, our podcast. What is the relationship between God and creation? How do you envision the connection? How would you express this symbolically? The way we answer these questions has a profound impact on how we understand both God and ourselves. Indeed, this is probably the most basic and important area of philosophical and theological investigation. For, depending on how one understands this, a whole range of other positions follow. It also impacts our spirituality. For how we conceive the relationship between God and creation ultimately influences how we view our connection to God. Different perspectives here give rise to different disciplines. Among the philosophies and religions of the world, we find a wide range of positions on God and creation. One of these is pantheism, which views creation to be something of God's body, as it were. Obviously, this view affirms a most intimate connection between God and the creation, so much so that a creature can rightly say, I am God, though in a limited expression, of course. A pantheistic perspective is common among Hindu and New Age religions. Another possibility is deism, which draws a sharp distinction between the creation and God. The analogy used to describe deism is that God is like a clockmaker who created the universe, wound it up with certain laws, then allowed it to unfold according to these laws. Consider the spiritual implications of these two views. If you're a pantheist, you will embrace disciplines that emphasize letting go of false identities so you can awaken to your own innate divinity. There is no one out there to relate to in such a system, no God who is an other with whom to relate. It's all in here or imminent, and your meditative approach would be to take this emphasis. If, on the other hand, you are a deist, then you would focus more on learning the laws of nature so that you might learn to cooperate with the order God imposed on the creation Thus would you hope to find some degree of true identity and happiness. The Judeo-Christian position is neither pantheistic nor deistic. As with pantheism, however, a deep intimacy between God and creation is affirmed. But a distinction is nevertheless maintained so that, like deism, a certain lawfulness to the created order is recognized. Let's talk about the distinctions between made and begotten. 
The first sentence in the opening book of the Bible provides a perspective that sets the tone for the Judeo-Christian view of God and creation. There we learn that, quote, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, unquote. From this statement, we see that, number one, the universe has a beginning. It is not eternal. Therefore, it is not God who is eternal. Number two, the universe is the consequence of a creative act of God. It is therefore contingent or dependent upon God for its existence. Number one rules out pantheistic systems of thought, but point number two leaves the deistic possibility open, just for a little while, however. A few paragraphs later in Genesis, we hear of God's delight in creation and God communicating with our first parents. Things eventually develop to the point that God takes the initiative in covenanting with Abraham and his ancestors. This all goes against the deistic approach, in that to covenant means something similar to becoming family with each other, and the God of deism could care less about something like that. Many centuries later, the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century A.D. noted that the Christ was begotten, not made, going on to say that he is one in being with the Father. This powerful affirmation of the incarnation of the Word is a topic that is worth exploring, and we would just really benefit from doing so, but for now we'll note the distinction between the terms begotten and made. A good way to explain it would be to say that parents beget children, while artists make artifacts. With regard to the universe, Scripture and later Christian tradition affirms that the universe was made, not begotten. It's God's handiwork, or work of art, and God is very pleased with it. Use it as good. When you examine a work of art, you can learn something about the artist, but only so much. So it is with the universe and God. The heavens are indeed telling the glory and majesty of God, as the psalmist says. For what a creator God we must have to have made the universe with its billions of galaxies, stars, and all the various life forms we find on our planet. Something of the qualities of creation must exist in God, or else God could not have known to make them. What a marvelous universe we find ourselves living in, and by extension, how wonderful is our Creator. So let's move on then to talk about the term creation ex nihilo. Okay, so far so good, and not too difficult to understand, I think. But how do we get from a self-subsistent, eternal God to a contingent universe, a universe dependent on God? If before the beginning there is only God, then how does the universe come from God? We've already ruled out pantheism, that God somehow just takes expression in a physical form. God morphs into the creation, as it were. And we've ruled out any notion of there being a pre-existent, uncreated material substance that God could have shaped into the universe. Such would not be made, 
but would, in fact, share something of the divine attributes, notably eternity. So if before the beginning of the creation of the universe there's only God, and then there's nothing else for God to make the universe with, then how does God make the universe? What does God use to make the universe? These might seem to be unusual questions, but they occurred to me as early as the fifth grade when I asked my mother to explain this to me. She deferred to Sister Concordia, principal at the school that I was going to at the time, and Sister told me this was a mystery, as indeed it is. Nevertheless, there is an official answer to the question, of course, and it is that God created ex nihilo, literally out of nothing. That's a rather fine example of divine omnipotence or power, but it doesn't really answer the question except to say that God can do pretty much whatever God wants to do, and this includes making something out of nothing. Okay, great. But let's go a little deeper into this response. What if the nothing God created the universe out of is taken to be no thing, that is, no pre-existing eternal matter? And what if, in addition, no thing is a way of actually referring to God, who, as the supreme spiritual being, is no thing in particular? Now, we'll talk about words of the word. What does that mean? We've just got through thinking a little bit about creation ex nihilo. So, at this point, we turn to the prologue of John's Gospel, where we learn that, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things came to be. Not one thing had its being, but through Him. This is John 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. The word in these passages, as we know, refers to the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And what we learn here is that God, the Father, creates the universe through the Word. Additionally, not one thing, no thing, exists but through the Word. There is the term nothing again, but in a new context. Now it means that everything has received its being through the Word. So we get from the no-thing of God to the everything of creation through the Word. The term used for Word in this passage is logos, which is Greek for speech, thought, or life principle. St. John uses this term intentionally to indicate a movement within the divine toward creation, from the Father who has the creative idea to the Logos, or Word, through whom the idea is expressed and given form. And what is expressed is creation. Hence, creation can be understood to be the expression of divine ideas. It is divine speak. This is a radically different understanding than pantheism and deism, but it does resonate with some aspects of both. Consider the relationship between yourself and the words you speak. Surely you are not those sounds, but on the other hand, 
They don't exist, except that you give them expression. Furthermore, they indicate an idea you are sharing, and they even communicate something of your presence. One who hears or reads your words encounters you. Not the whole of you, of course, but something of you. If it is an audible word, it vibrates to the rhythm of your speech and communicates a wide range of verbal and nonverbal content, all of which mediate a sense of your presence. We encounter one another through our words and form profound relationships through their mediation. All the while, however, the real person remains other or transcendent beyond the words that we have spoken, never to be completely exhausted in being through all the words he or she could ever speak. I think we can say something of the same is analogously true of the relationship between God and creation. God speaks the creation, and so there is a profound intimacy that exists between the two. Creation is not God, per se, but it does express the divine ideas and even communicates something of the divine presence. To deeply and authentically encounter creation is to encounter the speaker of creation through the existence invested in creatures themselves. If we look and listen to what's going on beyond the surface of things, we will find that creation in its contingency or dependence points beyond itself to the giver of its existence. It also reveals some aspect of the speaker's creativity. Thus we affirm the sacramental or iconic nature of creation. It is a kind of window to the divine. Something else we can affirm is how words, once spoken, take on a life of their own. We recognize this with our own speech and how our words often produce effects that go far beyond our immediate intent. Others hear our words and are affected by them, and they pass them on, and they pass on the effects of them now with their own ideas, so that, after a while, what we have said has become embellished with many other words and presences. So it is with the creation, only much more marvelously so. The words, creatures spoken by God, are invested with potentialities to enable them to interact with other words, creatures, and in the case of intelligent beings, to even choose their own manner of connecting with other creatures. Each creature is imbued with some degree of intelligence and freedom, as these qualities are rooted in God's own personal nature as well. Every creature spoken into existence by God, therefore, vibrates with something of divine presence, including the freedom and intelligence that makes up the divine. And because the creature is indeed a new being, and not simply an extension or emanation of the divine, it's free to use its intelligence and existence as it chooses. And this applies to some extent even to the inanimate creation, although no reflective consciousness is operative in such cases. Well, nice analogy, you might say, but how literally should we take this reflection? 
on creation as divine speech. Well, not too literally. It's an analogy, after all. But given what we do know about creation from the empirical sciences, especially physics, I think it's as good as any other. Einstein's physics taught us the connection between matter, space, and energy, that things are not as solid as we think them to be. Quantum physics has, in addition, pointed out the manner in which consciousness affects the way we see the universe. In the end, however, scientists really don't know why creation arose in the first place, nor why it has taken the form it has. So science cannot refute the analogy we have drawn, which has both poetic and metaphysical appeal. To you ourselves and other creatures, as part of the divine symphony. Can you feel the harmony? Do you know what instrument you play? <laughs>